Welcome to the Sensemaking in a Changing World podcast, where we explore the kind of thinking we need to navigate a positive way forward. I'm your host, Maura Gamble, permaculture educator and global ambassador, filmmaker, eco-villager, food forester, mother, practivist, and all-round lover of thinking, communicating, and acting regeneratively. For a long time, it's been clear to me that to shift trajectory to a thriving one-planet way of life, we first need to shift our thinking. The way we perceive ourselves in relation to nature, self, and community is the core. So this is true now more than ever, and even the way change is changing is changing. Unprecedented changes are happening all around us at a rapid pace. So how do we make sense of this? To know which way to turn, to know what action to focus on, so our efforts are worthwhile and nourishing and are working towards resilience, regeneration and reconnection. What better way to make sense than to join together with others in open, generative conversation? In this podcast, I'll share conversations with my friends and colleagues, people who inspire and challenge me in their ways of thinking, connecting and acting. These wonderful people are thinkers, doers, activists, scholars, writers, leaders, farmers, educators, people whose work informs permaculture and spark the imagination of of what a post-COVID, climate-resilient, socially just future could look like. Their ideas and projects help us to make sense in this changing world, to compost and digest the ideas and to nurture the fertile ground for new ideas, connections and actions. Together we'll open up conversations in the world of permaculture design, regenerative thinking, community action, earth repair, eco-literacy and much more. I can't wait to share these conversations with you. Over the last three decades of personally making sense of the multiple crises we face, I always return to the practical and positive world of permaculture with its ethics of earth care, people care and fair share. I've seen firsthand how adaptable and responsive it can be in all contexts, from urban to rural, from refugee camps to suburbs. It helps people make sense of what's happening around them and to learn accessible design tools to shape their habitat positively and to contribute to cultural and ecological regeneration. This is why I've created the Permaculture Educators Program, to help thousands of people to become permaculture teachers everywhere through an interactive online dual certificate of permaculture design and teaching. We sponsor global perma-youth programs, women's self-help groups in the global south, and teens in refugee camps. So anyway, this podcast is sponsored by the Permaculture Education Institute and our Permaculture Educators Program. If you'd like to find more about permaculture, I've created a four-part permaculture video series to explain what permaculture is and and also how you can make it your livelihood as well as your way of life. We'd love to invite you to join our wonderfully inspiring, friendly and supportive global learning community. So I welcome you to share each of these conversations and I'd also like to suggest you create a local conversation circle to explore the ideas shared in each show and discuss together how this makes sense in your local community and environment. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I meet and speak with you today, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the show today my dear friend Stephen Harding, or Dr. Stephen Harding from Schumacher College. He's a Guyan ecologist. He has a doctorate of ecology from Oxford University. He's a musician, author, father, co-founder too of the Masters of Holistic Science program at Schumacher College, co-founded with Professor Brian Goodwin. He's also the research fellow of deep ecology at the college and the Dartington Estate Ecologist. He has two books, 
The first is Animate Earth, Science, Intuition and Gaia. And his recent book is called Gaia Alchemy. He's worked closely with James Lovelock over the decades on the Gaia theory. Um, James is now 101. But back in 1992 is when I first met Stefan, when I was a resident at Schumacher College, beginning with a course that Stefan had co-taught with Fritjof Capra. And with his wife, Julia Ponsonby, who's the author of two books, um, the Gaia Cookbooks, and head of food at Schumacher College, we travelled up to Ladakh in the Himalayas um, to volunteer with Helena Norberg Hodge. And so our friendship goes a, a long way back. And this is a brief recording of our conversation when I was teaching at Schumacher College last year. It's pre-COVID times, and we were enjoying a walk through the Dartington Estate, exploring the work of of um, James Lovelock and also Stefan's work with the Guy Theory. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I'm out here in the woodlands behind Schumacher College at the moment with Stephen Harding. Um, I met Stephen about, what, 27 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you, how would you describe yourself? You're the, the head ecologist, the leader mm-hmm. of the Master of, Master of Holistic Science. Yeah, and yeah. What else? Well, I'm a resident ecologist. Yep. As you said, in charge of the MSc in Holistic mm-hmm. Science. And I've been here from the very beginning of the college, so I'm one of the founders of the college. My background is in science and ecology. Yep. Mm -hmm. Should we walk back down this way? Sure. A lot of the people who come and do the permaculture courses with me um, Mm -hmm. are fascinated about Gaia. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be a really good person, you, Mm. for a perfect person to ask because that that has been your focus for a long time Mm. and particularly because you you spent a lot of time with James Lovelock as well, didn't you? I did. Very lucky to spend time with him. So so what is Gaia? Hang on, I just noticed that... Oh, yeah, we'll go this way. All right. So Gaia has got various levels. So there's there's the the mythological depth psychology level to Gaia Mm -hmm. and then there's the scientific level. Of Gaia. So yep. we can talk about both of those if you like. Sure, let's... Oh, on, let's... on the scientific level, Gaia um, is about all the feedback relationships between all the organisms on the planet, so the microbes, the fungi, uh, the animals, the plants, etc., mm-hmm. between themselves and with the rocks, the atmosphere and the water. And the mm-hmm. idea in Gaia is that they, they all interact with each other. Yeah through feedbacks and what emerges from all those interactions it's something completely unexpected Mm. and that is the ability of the planet as one great whole to regulate its surface conditions such Mm. as the temperature so the idea is that Gaia is a for me anyway a great living planetary organism Mm. constituted by all the relationships between all the living organisms on the one hand and the atmosphere rocks and water on the other so it's like a sort of tight feedback so the difference between Gaia and say science that's taught in schools is that it's about the interconnectedness between all parts isn't it that yeah it's not just the rocks or it's not just the plants or it's not just the climate it's how all of those yeah interconnect yeah and Lovelock's this is Lovelock's Gaia theory it has revolutionized our understanding of the earth Mm. so before Lovelock the idea was that the earth was just a hunk of rock floating around in space with a little thin smear of life on the surface mm. which had no influence on the surface temperature or other factors of the surface at all. Yep. Life was just like a passive passenger. Mm. That's what that's what people thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after Lovelock, that's completely been thrown out. And so Lovelock had a pretty 
interesting background too. He was oh, yeah. quite a... Can you tell us a little bit well, about him? Well, he's an absolute genius. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, he's a brilliant in, in, inventor of scientific instruments. He's yes. got a great knowledge of science uh, across all, all kinds of science. Mm. And he's, but the main thing about him is that he is phenomenally original and creative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and very brave, because when he came up with the idea of Gaia, I mean, even just to call it Gaia. Yeah, that's right, I know. He's incredibly brave. As a scientist, too. Yeah, because too. he was jokingly thinking of calling his theory the biocybernetic universal system tendency. <laughs> oh, that would have done really well, wouldn't <laughs> yeah, it? It would have. The bust hypothesis. <laughs> oh, oh, I see, I didn't even get that. Sorry, I'm, I missed that one. <laughs> that was the idea. It was a joke. It was a joke. But anyway, that would have gone down very well with the scientists. Biocybernetic. Yeah, yeah. Cybernetics is the science of feedback and control. Yep. Universal system tendency. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't like it, and he thought, no, that's not right. I've got, I need a really good name. Yep. And his friend, the novelist William Golding, yep. told him to call it Gaia. Mm. And he'd love, look, never heard of Gaia. No, right. Now, this brings us to the mythological dimension. Mm. Now, Gaia is the ancient Greek divinity of the earth. Mm. Now, she's, she's even more primordial than a goddess. Because mm. in the ancient myth from Hesiod, which Hesiod wrote down about 600 BC, there was, first of all, before anything existed, there was this chaos, vast and dark. Mm. And out of this chaos, well, sorry, this chaos wanted to become something. It felt a bit lonely. Mm. So it formed itself into the earth. And that was the first thing that came out of primordial chaos, was mm. Gaia, fully formed. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so... I don't think I've heard this story before. Yeah, you see, it was very deep. Mm. And, and so Golding said to Lovelock, no, you should, don't call it the biocybernetic universal system tendency. <laughs> call it Gaia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This huge sacred name mm. came out of Golding's mouth. And wow. Lovelock, to his, to his credit, eventually understood it. Yeah. To begin with, Lovelock thought Golding had said Gaia. Oh, you know, right. these big swirling yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Lovelock said, no, not Jaya. Can't call it a Jaya theory. Yeah. And I like to think in my crazy poetic yes. way that the whole biosphere that had been waited for, waiting for 2,000 years yeah. for Gaia to come back into the Western culture yeah, gave yeah. up and thought, oh, God. <laughs> but Golding said, no, not Jaya. Gaia. <laughs> and so the whole thing started again. And this time Lovelock heard it. Yeah, right. And he, to his credit, mm. he, he, he really liked the name. It resonated with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a scientist That's to adopt such a deeply mythological, poetic yeah. name for his theory is phenomenal. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So, so we, we got Gaia back into our culture through, through science. And so what? So how did people respond to it in those early days? Well, the New Age and the, and the hippies loved it, of course. Yeah. And that was right. But the scientists hated it mm. because Gaia for them suggested that something about the Earth was sort of knew what the temperature should be or it uh. knew what, what the amount of phosphorus yeah. should be. In other words, it was what we call in science a teleology, a teleological, mm. implying that there's purpose in nature. Yeah, right. And that is not allowed in mm, science. No. Big taboo. Yep. I mean, I was brought up in science. The last thing you're allowed to say is that there is purpose. Mm. It's all meaningless, mm. purposeful, purposeless. Mm. It's one great dead machine. The whole yeah. cosmos is one great dead machine. To be observed and... Yeah. Yeah, and, and to be manipulated yeah. and used yeah. for our purposes. Mm. So, mm. Gaia smacked of teleology, mm. of purposefulness in nature. Mm. So they hated it mm. and they gave it a really bad time. Um, and, so how, and, did he, how did he manage to get it heard? Well, he's only got it heard a certain amount. Hello, this is my dog friend. It's all right. So, um, well, what he did was, 
to make a mathematical model. He knew he had to make a mathematical model to get around this problem. And so he created a model called Daisy World. Daisy World, right. Which is actually, he described as his finest invention. Mm. He's created many brilliant scientific instruments. Mm. And so that showed that in principle you could get Gaian self-regulation emerging from selfish individuals Mm -hmm. and selfish organisms that interact with each other but also affect the climate at the Mm. same time. And no one had ever made a model that put physics and biology together. Yeah, right. And it was amazing how you get emerging. It's amazing how in a daisy world you get... self-regulation emerging yeah. without building it into the equations. Mm. It just emerges from all the interactions. Yeah. And so you worked with him there. Was that part of what I you did. were doing I with I worked him? with I did that for five years. Oh, wow. Until I got really tired of sitting in front of computers. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but but, but Gaia theory has transformed our understanding of the Earth yeah. and it's become rebranded in science. Yeah. Um, so it's now called Earth System Science. Okay. Earth System Science. So, how, so what's happening now with climate change and and how is guy theory informing what's going on in the present day yeah well now now the very best climate modelers yeah. have been influenced by lovelock mm. very heavily some of them here in exeter in england yeah, right. tim lenton and richard mm-hmm. betts peter cox some of the really mm-hmm. top people yeah and they're making new supercomputer models of the mm-hmm. climate yeah. based on gaia theory yeah. in which the organisms interact Mm-hmm. with the climate yeah, and of course it makes things infinitely more complex yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's one thing that's happening yeah. um, another thing that's happening on a more theoretical level mm-hmm. is that people are beginning to realise that there's a, another level of natural selection mm. which operates at the level of Gaian feedbacks yeah, right. there's selection amongst Gaian feedbacks mm-hmm. so I know this sounds a bit technical but it's actually breaking open our understanding of evolution mm. and how it works and we're beginning to th- realise that evolution can also happen at the level of planetary feedbacks. Mm. So I think it's a very exciting time when the paradigm is starting to shift, all because of Lovelock's work. Yeah. And so Lovelock is now turning 100. 100 this year. Wow. Whenabouts? July the 23rd, I think. And you're going to his birthday party here? Yeah, in Blenheim Palace. And he's as sharp as a button. He's written a new book. Oh, has he? Yeah. What's it called? I can't remember uh, now, actually. But uh, it's only just been... It hasn't been published yet. And so so how does he see what's happened with with Gaia since it started? Has he shifted his perception on anything? Has he had change of thinking about it or has it just kept on evolving? Um, I think he's kept on evolving and I think he's quite happy that it's been more or less accepted in Mm. science. At least certain aspects of it have been accepted. And I think he's very happy that gradually even evolutionary theory is is realising that there's a Gaian dimension that has been ignored um, in natural selection. And so is Gaia being now taught in schools yet, do you think? Not enough. No, because, you know, there's still too much of the old science. Too much of the old science. You see, for me, Gaia is both mythological and scientific. Mm. What I try to do in my work... What was your book? My book's called Animate Earth. Yeah. Animate Earth. So I'm trying to put together the science, but in a way, in a poetic way. Mm. So we can use the science to awaken our poetic relationship oh. with nature. Because unless we have a poetic relationship, a love relationship yeah, yep. with nature, we're not going to do anything about it, no. about the crisis. No, our understanding right. will be too theoretical. Yep. I think we need, I mean, I'm a scientist, so I need the yep. science. Yep. But I want to use it to help myself fall in love with nature much more. Well, so that was you to fall was in love with nature, but everyone to fall in love with nature. I everyone. Think you're absolutely right. Everyone. Until we care, yeah. until, we, until we do love. 
We're not going to have that. No, we? we have to fall in love with nature. Yeah. And because we're a scientific culture, mm. I think we can use the science of Gaia particularly, mm. the science of you know microbes, earthworms, mm. fungi, forests, mm. clouds, mountains, <laughs> rocks. Yeah. All of that is one integrated mm. living being told mythologically mm. with the science. Yeah. I think that can help us fall in love yeah. with nature. And I, I mean, that's what I've been doing at Schumacher yeah, College yeah, yeah. for 27 years. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. I mean, I tell the, the, some of the scientists a fairy story. Mm. Oh, wow. Like love affairs between yeah. carbon princes and calcium princess. And it works. It works. Wow. People, it, it really does work. I hear that again. I remember hearing that 27 <laughs> years ago. And I remember you had your, your was that a little guitar or yes. ukulele or something? Yes, a quattro from Venezuela. That's right. Yeah. And you sung, you sung the singing, story singing, Yeah, singing. So it's a mixture of yeah. mine. For me, it's integrating yeah. Jung, Carl Jung's four functions, mm. thinking, feeling, sensing, intuition. Mm. Put them all together. Mm. And then in the middle is Gaia. Mm. When we, we integrate our psyches in that way, mm -hmm. then we can really fall in love with this amazing cosmos of yeah. ours, and then we'll spontaneously act to yeah. save it. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and you're now writing another book based on that. that I'm writing another book. Yeah. Yes, this time I'm trying to put together alchemy and mm -hmm. Gaia. Mm -hmm. So I'm calling it Gaia Alchemy. Wow. But it's very difficult. Yes, I can I'm not imagine. sure if I'll manage to do it. Oh, well, I hope you do. Yeah. I really hope you do. <laughs> yeah. Now, there was also... There's also a film based on your work. There is. Well. There's a film called Animate Earth. Yeah. And there's an app which you know about, the Deep yeah. Time Walk app. Yeah, yeah. So um, what I might do underneath is put links to all these Please, things could too, you? so people can see. Yeah, that'd that would be, be great. great. Yeah. And of course, Moray, it was so good that you were one of our first students at the college. Right. And look what you've done as a result. It's fantastic. It, it was. It's kind of, let's turn around so we can see oh, yeah. the see the college behind us. Here right. we go. There we are. Yeah. It's part of it. There. Mm -hmm. Well, it did. It transformed my life. It, the the thinking. That I, that I, I don't know, the experience, it wasn't just the thinking, it was the whole experience. It was, mm. the, it was a learning community, the way that what mm. we ate and how we shared and the knowledge mm. and the, the people that came here too. Mm. Like it was, there, was, there, was, there was you, there was Fritjof Capra, there was Vandana Shiva and Helen Novohoja, mm. Ani Ness. Mm. I mean, all of those different things together, you know, mm. pour those in in this mix of this beautiful learning community into young people and you create... Yeah, I think incredible opportunities for people to head out into their life and do incredible things. And people who've been here like you have gone on to do incredible mm. things like you've done all over the planet. Mm. So although it's a small place, yeah. I see it's a centre of deep Gaian learning. Yeah, absolutely. It's as if there's something, some deep mm. energy coming out of the earth which inspires us all <laughs> very deeply. And draws us back. Like, I mean, this is, I yeah. don't know how many times I've been back. And <laughs> I wish I'd been back more, but, you right. know, this is, yeah, mm. I, there's a, as I... Came around the corner just a week ago, and I and I saw it and I felt it. I was like, oh, I'm home. Mm -hmm. There's a, you know, I, I have there's a few points in around that I feel that deep sense of connection. Mm. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah, you know that saying in Latin, alma mater, mm. the uh, mother of your soul. Mm. This really, for me, is also the mother of my soul. This mm. college, for the reasons you've said, mm. it's mm. an incredibly important Isn't place. It? Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for um, a pleasure sharing. Yeah, it's lovely. Thank lovely you. to Thank see you, you again. And you too, Maureen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So thanks for tuning in to the Sensemaking in a Changing World podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to have your company. I invite you to subscribe and receive notification of each new weekly episode with more wonderful stories, ideas, inspiration and common sense for living and working regeneratively and call positive permaculture thinking and design into action in this changing world. 
I'm including a transcript below and a link also to my four-part permaculture series, really looking at what is permaculture and how to make it your livelihood too. So join me again in the next episode where we talk with another fascinating guest. I look forward to seeing you there.